Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we have a conference coming up January 21st through the 23rd called The Doctrine of God right here in Southwest Florida. And we would love for you to join us. There's still space to register for that conference. We found a bigger venue. We actually went and scouted out the venue just last week, and it's awesome. Things are coming together. Man, it's just going to be a wonderful wonderful, wonderful time. So we'd love to see you there. Pastor Tom here will be preaching. I'll be preaching. And uh, well, Vody Bauckham here will be preaching and he's actually uh, with us for this particular podcast. So join us for that conference January 21 through 23. Yeah, we're grateful for the opportunity to have this in a larger venue. Uh, It looks like we might sell out again. So if you've been uh, delaying signing up, don't wait too much longer because registrations are coming in daily. We're excited about that. Well, man, what a joy to have Vody Bauckham with with us here on the Sword and the Trial. Vody is an old friend, and just before we uh, started recording this podcast, we were talking about the first time we met, which was in Fort Myers, Florida, where he was speaking at a state convention meeting for the Florida Baptist Convention, and uh, then came over and spoke in our church, and uh, we just had some good times together. That that, that was the first time we, you and I had met face-to-face, though I think we'd corresponded and had some engagements, but I was delighted to know about you. Do you remember when that was? Is that 15, 20 years I, ago? You know, I do. I do not. But it's been a minute, man. Yeah. It's, it's been a minute. Yeah, it has uh, been. And uh, those were those were back good. Back in the day. That's back in the day when they used to love me in the <laughs> <laughs> I was say, I was What gonna, did you do, Vody? <laughs> he, he kept preaching. He kept <laughs> preaching the Bible and got in trouble. No, man. You know, that's, you know, oh, you, you, you know, Psalm 120. Psalm 20, the uh, psalmist says, hey, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. So uh, you, know, <laughs> you just either quit talking and have peace or keep talking and have war. And so uh, you've kept talking. And yeah. Just so good to see you again. Look forward to having you down here in January for the Doctrine of God Conference. That's going to be awesome. Oh, I can't wait, man. I'm excited about that. Yeah. And then you're doing some other things, too. You just have... Uh, completed a book manuscript that's going to be coming out in the spring of 2021. And we want to talk a little bit about that and, and then also just talk yeah. about the theme of that book. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, the, the, the working title of it is um, Fault Lines. And um, uh, it's sort of a play on the idea of a, a fault where an earthquake takes place. And uh, the subtitle is about the coming catastrophe and evangelicalism, social social justice movement, mm. and evangelicalism's coming catastrophe. And uh, I truly believe that we're seeing a shift now. Um, that 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 there is a fault, and it has shifted, and the ground is moving, and there is separation taking place. And I don't think that we've seen um, the worst of it. And I, I was really, I've been thinking about this for a number of years, but it's one of those books that I hadn't really wanted to write. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was trying to just, you know, stay out of stay out of things like that, especially since I've been living in Zambia for the last five years. Right. Um, and then, you know, all this stuff happened with George Floyd, and I decided that, um, well, first I was late you know, finding out about what had happened because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over here on the other side of the world. And then when I found out about what happened, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really do or say, you know, much about it um, because, again, I was late to the party. And then I saw that there were people who were tweeting 
um, you know, we're, we're watching your Twitter accounts and, you know, and, and, and basically demanding outrage. Mm -hmm. Well, if I was going to say anything, that settled the fact that I would, <laughs> when, when, when people started demanding outrage as, as though, especially from those of us who signed the Dallas statement, as though there's anything in the Dallas statement that would indicate that we would not be shocked and appalled by the taking of the life of a human being. Right. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And I, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't do like bullying. Um, and so I just said, you know what, that, that pretty much settles it. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna, gonna get into this. And then there's a friend of mine who always says to me, you know, God loves you, but I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. He decided to post, he decided to post some videos from a conference that I had done with him at this little thing called the Founders Conference. And so all of a sudden I start getting messages from everywhere, just blowing up, you know, with 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 stuff, you know, thank you for posting whatever. And, um, you know, I don't have a YouTube channel. I've never had a YouTube channel. I've never posted anything to YouTube. Everybody's thanking me for posting this stuff on YouTube. And lo and behold, um, my, my friend who always tells me, God loves me, but he has a wonderful plan for my life, um, had dropped me right in the middle of it. Um, and I don't want to say anybody's name, you know, Tom Askell, but I, Tom picked I a fight wrote. and then let you fight it. That's what happened. Tom punched yeah, somebody I, and stepped out of the way. Exactly. So I sent Tom, I sent Tom a meme from the Godfather. I think it was from the Godfather part three, where Don Corleone says, just when I thought I was out. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so that just, that really sort of settled it. And, um, I just, I felt like it was time. It was time to do this. And the other thing that really pushed me over the edge was, again, I've been living in Zambia for the last five years. And you got to understand, you know, here in Zambia, the police don't protect and serve. Mm. Um, if somebody was to break into my house right now, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't call the police. If I did call them, they wouldn't come. If something happened and I needed the police, I would have to go get the police, pay them a bribe, and bring them mm. so that they could do whatever they were going to do. Um, the police here set up checkpoints at the end and the beginning of the month in order to stop cars to, you know, check people's tags. And if your tags are out of date, they pull you over to the side of the road where you pay your fine in cash. Hmm. So, you know, another thing that's happened here is I remember the first time we saw somebody being beaten by the police. We were in a grocery store. And there's a bunch of cops who got this guy and they're just carrying him on their shoulders while others are beating him. And he's just moaning and wailing and nobody's doing anything. And I'm like, what's going on? And the person in front of me in line just turns around and goes, oh, he's a thief. And I'm just like, so, so he just gets beaten up by the police? Um, and yes, that's absolutely what happens. Mm -hmm. So I say all that to say this. That that's policing in the country where I live. Mm. And people here started talking about the corruption of American policing. Mm. That, that was a bridge too far. At yeah. that point, I thought, okay, I, 
I yeah, I, I gotta I gotta do this. I've, I've I've gotta write this. And then when I would talk to people here about the actual numbers and what was happening, they would get this curious look on their face, like, yeah, I I don't get it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and to which I would respond, yeah, you, you you're absolutely right. Um, the police are not hunting and killing black men. Um, you know, this is an, this is an invented narrative, and um, so anyway, all those things together just kind of you know pushed me over the edge um, to where I decided you know this this, uh, this this needs to happen. Finally, found somebody willing to publish it, and away we went. The fault line idea is just to hear you talk about it, Vody. Is um, I just personally to hear you talk about it is powerful because Tom and I are observing this. We're talking about it nearly every single day. We're watching what's happening with the various organizations over here. And it's crazy. It's crazy to me, especially coming out of like Young Restless and Reformed, you know, and the new Calvinism, because there did seem to be. I've said this before publicly. I was sitting with Tom. I don't know which T4G it was, but one of the early T4Gs sitting with Tom in Louisville. And I remember thinking, like, I was over the moon. Man, I was over the moon. I was like, the, the hymns and the songs. And, and yeah. I, I was sitting with Tom, and Tom, in his way, you know, he's never going to, like, actually tell me. He, I could just tell he didn't seem quite as excited as me. He was very excited. He was for it. And I was like, Tom, what's the deal? And why aren't you excited? He said, well, I'm, I am. I'm very thankful. I'm, I'm overjoyed about what I see. I'm just concerned it might not be. Um, might not be as deep as it needs to be right now. Might it's not doesn't have that yeah. doctrinal grounding. But even so, I, it's it's wild to look at what's going on over here in these fault lines. So I would love to hear you yeah. articulate more about what what are those fault lines and what's going on. What do you see? Well, here, here's the thing. Then to 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 go to your uh, issue, you know, I remember. Um, you know, being brought into some of those circles. Um, I was never invited to be a part of, uh, um, you know, uh, some of them, but, uh, you know, I was brought on as a council member of the Gospel Coalition, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, you know, preached at a number of these other, you know, sort of events um, in this kind of new Calvinist resurgence or whatever. And I remember being very excited about that because, you know, I am one of those individuals who did not come up in Calvinist ranks, um, came to the doctrines of grace uh, late, um, and started off really just as a Calvinist and ended up being reformed. Um, There's a difference between being a Calvinist and being reformed, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's three C's for the reformed guys, Calvinistic, covenantal, and confessional. and so it was interesting, you know, coming into that and beginning to hear warnings from people who were, you know, writing books about the new Calvinism. And some of them being very charitable and saying, hey, this is a good thing. We're glad to see people embracing the doctrines of grace, but we worry about this, 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 and this. And some of the things that, that guys were worrying about was how big the tent was and how many guys were in the tent calling themselves reformed who weren't reformed who were not covenantal, who, who were not confessional, um, and, and whose cultural ethos um, was, was outside of sort of historic, um, a historic reform ethos, their understanding of law and gospel and, and, and things of this nature. 
And what's interesting about that is I've gone from scratching my head to, you know, what are you guys, you know, talking about? To now I look back and I look at the influence of critical race theory, mm. intersectionality, you know, the influence of this, the, uh, what I've started calling the, the, the critical social justice movement. Um, I look at the influence and all of a sudden it's like those movements had reformed guys at the helm or more reformed guys at the helm, older, mature guys who were reaching out uh, to younger guys with platforms and bringing those younger guys with platforms in. And now what's happening is those younger guys with platforms are running headlong into the critical social justice movement. And instead of them having their chains jerked by the older guys, the older guys are starting to follow them and begin to sound exactly like these young guys and are moving away some of those very foundations. And so it's, it's really been unsettling, you know, to, to sort of watch that happen from afar. And, you know, you know, you guys know since the Dallas statement, just like you, I mean, I've been canceled, um, you know, to borrow, to borrow a contemporary phrase. Um, I've, been, I've been canceled uh, by, by these groups, just like, just like you guys have. And I think, you know, you asked me about some of the fault lines. I think one of the key fault lines is the Dallas statement. The Dallas statement on social justice in the gospel was a fault line. Mm-hmm. And there were people who signed it who were over here and people who refused to sign it who were over here. And what was interesting is some of the people who refused to sign it, um, what's interesting about them is that they're very vocal people and they're very vocal critics. They didn't sign it, but they also did not give, not just did, didn't they give a substantive critique they didn't give any critique to the statement. So there was nothing wrong with the statement that they were willing to critique, but they weren't willing to sign it. And why? Well, they haven't said, but for many of them, I believe it's because young guys and black guys and brown guys who they had embraced have run headlong into critical social justice. And a lot of these guys did not sign the statement because it would have meant repudiating some of the young guys they embraced and mentored. Yeah, I think you're right, Vody. And I remember having a conversation like that with one of these uh, older guys, and and uh, he said that the statement he he was disappointed in it because I this is almost a quote it shut down some productive conversations on race that were taking place. Yep, and uh, you know I. I look at it, those conversations weren't productive, number one. No. And if we can't agree on some fundamentals that the Dallas statement lays out to have a conversation, then I'm wondering what we're talking about. Because, right. You know, there's not anything wild in that statement. A- at the end of By What Standard, you remember there's there's that scene in there with you and me talking at a church you helped found in Houston, Texas. And it was late, actually, man. I don't know. It was probably two in the morning when we were talking Two o'clock in the morning. I, I I saw how red my eyes were in the in the film. That's, that's when the truth comes out. That's, that's when right. the truth comes out at two a.m. We may have need, we may have needed a few more filters, but I do remember just a sober moment moment in our conversation. I think this is in the it made it into the film, where uh, you know you said you just think that division 
is inevitable. I mean, it just looks like it's, it's, we're not going to be able to avoid some separation and that's heartbreaking, but you know, God's done that in the past. So what do you, you've had five years to kind of not live and breathe the air regularly in the U S and, and man, you've been doing great work over there at the African Christian university in Lusaka, Zambia, uh, and in the uh, church where you're serving and other things that you continue to do. But from that perspective now, you know, what, where do you think we need to be looking and, and what do you think we ought to be doing? Those of us who are covenantal confessional, you know, those of us who, who do agree on the scriptures, even those well, I'm finding great unity with brothers and sisters who are not covenantal and confessional, but who agree on the authority and sufficiency of scripture to address these current yeah. critical social justice issues. What, where do you think we need to be taking our stands? Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been camping out second Corinthians 10, you know, um, this, this is a spiritual war Amen. and, um, the weapons of our warfare, they're, they're not carnal, right? They're, they're not physical. Um, but they are powerful and they do destroy strongholds and we've got to unleash them. And there's two things that we're called to do. Number one, um, we're called to destroy and we're called to take captives. And I know people don't like that language because we're talking about our brothers. We're not talking about destroying our brothers. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. That's what we're destroying. And I think one of the things that, that, that has been happening is that people haven't been willing to destroy the arguments and lofty opinions because they don't want to be seen as trying to destroy their brothers. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing about that is, is that's not love. I think one of the things that's been exposed here as this fault line has shifted is it has exposed a false unity uh, because if a brother is going to say that I'm not his brother because I have a different opinion on it, um, I think it's very interesting that these these movements now you look at you know uh, the gospel coalition together for the gospel and you know all, all of these you know sorts of groups that 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 rose up these different conferences that happened um and the different seminaries that were attached to this and seminary presidents that were involved in this and you had people one of the beauties of it and i think jared one of the things that you were you know were talking about being excited about the guys were saying, you know what? There are non-essentials that we disagree on. Things that we used to kill each other over. Mm. The Presbyterians used to baptize us to death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now here we are, and we're saying, you know, there are things that are more significant than that, and we're unifying over this. And it was amazing. And guys, you know, talking about, um, you know, continuationists and, and, and cessationists coming together and, and, and saying that's not going to divide. But now we're dividing on this issue of a critical race theory, intersectionality, critical social justice view of race. Mm. That is more significant to us than baptism, more significant to us than you know, continuationism and 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 and, and more more significant to us than confessionalism. Mm-hmm. We were saying, you know, you're not a confessional guy. We're a confessional guy. Yada yada yada. But but this this view 
is more significant to us, to a group of people who were uniting in spite of a whole bunch of things. Now guys are saying, no, this is a bridge too far. And if you don't interpret um, these issues, you know, down the line, according to the ways critical race theory and intersectionality view these issues, according to the way that critical social justice views this, these issues. So the definition of whiteness and white privilege and white supremacy, um, and now add to that white equilibrium, equilibrium and white fragility and, you know, the call to anti-racism and so on and so forth. That now we're saying that those things, right, that is our confession. Mm. So you don't have to hold to Westminster. You don't have to hold to 1689, but you do have to hold to D'Angelo and Kennedy. Mm. Wow. Man, that is a profound way to put it, and that's exactly what's happening. I mean, I, that's a great way to think about it because you find people now who do uh, disagree on things that 10 years ago we were trying to rally around, but they agree on this social justice approach that's current, and they're the allies and uh, the ones of us who disagree but who yeah. agree with them confessionally, yeah. we're the opponents. And, you know, Vody, Tom and I have been – We've been thinking about what. Hey, that, the thing too. No, go ahead. Well, you go ahead. You go ahead. I'll follow up. No, 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 Jerry. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. Well, because I'm, it just makes me so sad, man. You know, and I know we're all sad about it, and it, because I just, it's funny. You know, we went through a lot with by what standard, obviously, and um, man, we just said, I, I love everybody. I just have this. <laughs> I'm not mad. At, I'm not mad at my brothers. I'm not bitter toward anybody. I love them, and it's sad to yeah. see this. And I, I'm wanting to say. How can we, what, what, are, what are those fault lines so that we can help as many people not be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy? And you, you mentioned one, which I would just underscore, is this sense of if, if, if you're, stop with the 11th commandment. Like, stop with it. If you, are, if you love your yeah. brother, just, you've got to say, and, and this is actually doctrine of God thing, because man, if, if, I, see, if I see Vody sin, you know, I love Vody, I care, I do care what Vody thinks about me, I don't want, you know, but that can't dominate our relationship, I gotta go to Vody, and then, well, what if Vody doesn't repent, and thinks you're wrong, and doesn't like you, it's like, well, there's a God in heaven, and this is my but, brother, and there's but a- Jared, I think we gotta, I think we gotta back that up, though, we gotta back that up, and even say, if Vody sins, We've got to make sure we're defining sin, mm-hmm. not according to Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi and, you know, we, we, we got a Kimberly Crenshaw and so on. So we got to make sure that we're defining it according to the law of God. And so, and I know you guys have done a lot of this talking about, you know, law and gospel. Um, but but we've, we've got to make sure that we're def- defining these things according to the law of God. And so when we're defining sin, by the way, this is one of the huge problems with the critical social justice movement, because there is a new original sin. And that new original sin is the sin of racism. And all white people are guilty of it. They're complicit in it by virtue of their whiteness. And this just, that's just wrong. Mm -hmm. That's just not biblical. This idea that, you know, and I, you know, I've, I've talked about this idea of ethnic Gnosticism and I, I, I unfold it, you know, a little more um, in the book. Uh, but this idea that somehow, uh, and by the way, the, the concept of ethnic Gnosticism is rooted in critical theory. Um, they don't call it ethnic Gnosticism, 
Um, but this idea that the world is divided into oppressors and oppressed, and the oppressed, by virtue of their oppression, have access to knowledge uh, that the oppressors yeah. don't because they're oppressors. Yeah. They're inherently blind. And so that's why we talk about listening to our brothers and sisters of color. That's why we're talking about listening to black voices, you know, and, and again, so why, and then, and then guys will fall into the trap and they'll say, well, what about a vo voice like Bodie's voice? No, 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 no. My voice is not a black voice because mm -hmm. according to critical race theory and critical social justice, the black voice is the voice of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. If the person is not accepting the role of the oppressed and speaking from the perspective of oppression, then their voice is not authentically a black voice. Right. Mm -hmm. So even that statement itself is yeah. a nod to critical theory. It, you know, so when we start talking about, you know, uh, black voices versus black bodies, right? Right. Um, again, this is absolutely a nod to critical to critical race theory. When, you know, when the when the attorney general of of Kentucky, you know, comes out and and offers his findings, and you have people saying, you know, that he's given a, a the, one of the founders of BLM says he gave a bull Connor speech in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a former uh, a former a sergeant in the LAPD says he might be skin folk, but he's not kin folk. Um, in other words, he's a black body, but he's not a black voice, and so. Again, this is all rooted and grounded in critical theory. So we have to be aware of where this stuff is coming from. And so there's two things there. Number one, destroy mm -hmm. arguments and lofty opinions. So we need to identify the arguments and lofty opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of God, and they need to be destroyed now, for the sake of our brothers. And we, we need to be, be, you know, open, honest, loving with our brothers, but fierce in the way that we fight and go to war with these ideologies, okay? And then the second, the second part of it is taking every thought captive. So we've got to recognize that one of the reasons that this is attractive is because our, our Christian brothers are not racist, right? right? Mm -hmm. Our Christian brothers love the brethren. I, I brought this. I told you I had a a, 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 a prop here. You know, you guys can see this case, and you know, inside this case, this is a SBC, you know, symbol up here. Inside this case, you know, there's this really nice fountain pen and this really nice, um, you know, uh, ink there, and you know, it has my name on it here. It's from 2001. I was appointed chair of the Teller's Committee at the, the SBC. Now, I didn't get to go because of the flooding that year. I was in Houston trying to get to New Orleans and it was flooding. And so I didn't get to go, um, although I was appointed chair. Well, how was I appointed chair of the Teller's Committee? When they appointed me chair of the Teller's Committee, I had to ask, what's the Teller's Committee? Um, <laughs> You know, I'm not a political bone in my body, but let me back up a little bit. About a year or so before that, I had been in a meeting um, in, in the home of Paige Patterson. It was me, uh, Derry Hodge, 
another, you know, two black doctoral students at Southeastern Seminary. And Patterson had given me permission. He's president of Southeastern. He had given me permission uh, outside of the system. I was doing a D-man and I, my plan was to do a D-man and then do a PhD. He gave me permission because I had this wild idea of going to Oxford, doing my D-field at Oxford. He gave me written permission as the president to do my last year of the D-man as the first year of the DPhil at Oxford um, and to count that toward the, the completion of, of the one degree and the start of the other because he had, God love me, but Paige had a wonderful plan for my life. <laughs> Paige wanted to see me be the president of one of our seminaries or the first black president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Paige was not about tokenism. And he sat us down and he said, it's important that you guys are doing this work because we love the brethren and we've always tried, you know, to, to embrace uh, brothers of other ethnicities and see them rise up through the ranks. But guys, you know, go off here, they go off there, they don't have our, you know, share our theology or whatever. So just like it had happened throughout my entire theological career, I had white brothers reaching out to me, not giving me anything other than encouragement to stay the course because they wanted to see me succeed. Mm. And so th that that's what was happening. And Jerry, you kind of joked earlier, you know, about, about what happened to me. I'll tell you what happened to me. A few years later, I wrote a blog post. And Tom, I think this is when you and I started corresponding. And in that blog post, I I, I came out as a Calvinist. Mm. And I, I don't know if you remember I that do remember or not, that. but, yep. you know, yep. I, I wrote a blog post explaining why I embraced the, the title of Calvinist. So that was strike one. The other strike was uh, Bruce Short and I uh, oh, brought a resolution uh, at, at, the, at the convention. I forget which year it was. We brought that resolution, but it was it was the resolution about uh, public schools, right? Calling for the investigation of the public schools, um, you know, this radical agenda in the public schools. And so, you know, I'm a proponent of, of home education, and the public schools are sacred, you know, to Southern Baptists. And so, because of those things, you know, I ended up getting blacklisted in the SBC because I, I got off message, I got off line, this wasn't, you know, what our ideology was. Um, and it's quite interesting that, you know, nowadays we've, we've got guys sort of going in different directions. And instead of the SBC right or wrong saying, no, 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 this is not what our ideology is. They're sort of caving and letting things like Resolution 9 happen. Yeah. So I, I just think it's really interesting to watch, you know, the way things have unfolded. Um, and I say all that to say this. One of the irony, one of the ironies is that people not only say that I'm not a black voice, but they try to explain why I'm not a black voice by saying that I'm trying to curry favor with white people yeah, so that I can have elevated positions with white people. So let me see. <laughs> I opened my mouth in the SBC where they wanted me to be the president, the first black president of one of our seminaries or the first black president of the SBC. So I opened my mouth and that was gone. Now recently I've opened my mouth 
and all of these other organizations that I used to be a part of uh, now won't touch me with a 10-foot pole. But, but, but the answer people have is that I'm doing this in order to curry favor with white people. Yeah. Um, as we say in Texas, man, that dog won't hunt. The reason, the reason I think you're in trouble voting, the reason Tom's in trouble, the same. It's like I want to be with both y'all guys wherever I go because y'all both gonna say something. <laughs> Something's gonna happen. It's gonna be voting. Tom done said something. They're the first ones to say something. Everybody's gonna be like throwing down. But you know, I, I, this is interesting. I just couldn't help but think about it. when you were talking, Vody, about the two issues that you, you know, Calvinism, public school. And and yet the way it's being played now by the SBC, they're really caving. I, I'm suspicious that it's it's pragmatism just rampant in the SBC that plays it both ways. Absolutely. Right. So what you did, you, you hit two issues that transgressed pragmatism. Now, Calvinism doesn't work and, and government schools don't work. But this CRT stuff does. It fits the pragmatic worldview. And it's just. Kind of trying, it is trying to curry favor even with man. It's not trying to become all things to all men, like the, like Paul tells us. But we're trying to be accepted, kind of by the world, in order to do evangelism. And you know the issues you brought up don't don't fit. And yeah. but this this modern stuff right now seems to fit the spirit of the age, and so they're kind of moving with it. Yeah, until until they can't go far enough, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. The whole anti-racist movement is upfront about the fact that you can never, never. complete the work yeah. of anti-racism. Right. There is no there there. there so it's going to no cost more than five million dollars. The original sin of yeah, no, it, it won't. It, it won't be enough. It yeah. won't be enough. You watch because you know when you get letters, you know that they're talking about. Yeah, uh, the patriarchy and and the uh, pernicious, you know, theology and this and this of the founders or whatever. I'm telling you, you did five million dollars. Number one, five million dollars is not enough. But number two, you kept the names on the right. building. And then number three, you didn't cede power. You mm-hmm. didn't give up your power to black people. Mm-hmm. And so now it's going to be, thank you for the $5 million. That was a nice first step. But where are you elevating black voices? Yeah, that's Where are happening. you putting black people in the seats of honor? And where are you tearing down all of the references to these, these individuals in your past whose sins today have been deemed um, unforgivable because tomorrow it'll be somebody else's sins. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's always, it's always somebody else's statue today. Um, but eventually it's going to be yours. You know, Vody, one of the things you said a while ago, I want to circle back to that at the bottom of all of this is a failure to recognize or appreciate or understand God's law. I mean, the law and the gospel, and we have hammered that, but I don't think we can hammer it enough because God is the one who gets to define what is sin and what is righteous. And good night. I mean, I have enough trouble dealing with real sin in my life. I don't need anybody to manufacture new sins and try to make me measure up to their shifting standards in order to deal with that. When I hear people treat you and say about you the things that they do sometimes, or people like you who refuse to kowtow to the spirit of the age, it angers me. I mean, it, it angers me because they are they are taking what they assume to be and what they propose to others is high moral ground. 
and they're trying to to point out how you don't measure up to their high standard of righteousness and their standard is wrong their standard is godless and they are sinning while claiming that they're being morally superior and the emperor has no clothes and we have to be willing to say that and I mean, one of the things I just appreciate you, man. I mean, I, I watched you on that A Time to Speak uh, panel, you know, with Ed Stetzer and Thabiti Inyabuele. I think it was 2015, wasn't it, when you were uh, in Memphis for that? Matt Chandler and Matt, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah those guys. Those, yeah. And, you know, you every one of them turned on you. Every one of them. And you refused to give yeah. one inch. And they were taking shots, cheap shots sometimes, and they weren't listening to you. They are twisting your words. And they, there was nothing they could do to get you to back down from just standing firmly on the law and the gospel. And that's desperately what we need today, man. I, I just, I'm so grateful for you and your willingness not to budge on those issues. Well, man, I appreciate that. And I, I mean, I, I, I just appreciate having friends, you know, um, <laughs> I hear you, bro. I hear you. <laughs> is this about the kids? Is this a group? This is yeah. a group. There's not those that we have any more. have you? So, um, hey. you know, and it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, now I get, I get things, you know, like, um, I, you know, the, my, my circle of friends is getting so small mm. and then people try to make me make my circle of friends even smaller. Mm. And so somebody told me, for example, that, um, you know, Jeff Durbin apparently, you know, stepped out of line here recently in a, in a message that he did at a at the fight love feast or something like that. And I'm getting emails from people asking me why I haven't spoken up to condemn Jeff Durbin. <laughs> well, first of all, I've never met the man. <laughs> Secondly, w- what did he do? You know? And, and, and then they're like, you know, he, he, he did this and he did that. But then not only am I supposed to condemn Jeff Durbin, but I'm supposed to condemn uh, the the fight the feast guys, and so what? How, wait, how did it go? No, okay, maybe you didn't hear what the message, and maybe you don't know Durbin, but you do know James White, and James White is at Durbin's church, and the guys at Fight Love Feast they speak highly of you, therefore. Since you know the one guy who knows him and the other guys who did the event speak highly of you, you're therefore ugly. I was like, what are you talking about? There's <laughs> some fundamentalist stuff going That's on right, right there. They put fundamentalists to shame. And, and, and they say we're the ones being fundamentalists on this thing. <laughs> oh, man. Vody, you got so much, man. What would you say? And, then, you know, and here's, the other, here's the other ironic thing. Here's the, here's the other ironic thing about you know, people are saying that, you know, we're trying to to truncate the gospel and, you know, we don't understand the implications of the gospel and this and that and the other. You know what's funny about that? Two things are funny about that. Number one, some of these same people were saying that I was being too broad in my application of the gospel because of my advocacy for home education mm-hmm. in particular and for Christian education for parents mm-hmm. in general. And so when I start, when I did uh, what he must be, um, and with, you know, with the ever-loving truth, family shepherds, and what he must be, there are people who felt like I was applying the gospel too broadly 
in dealing with those family issues and educational issues and things like that, right? Some of those same people now are saying that I'm a fundamentalist <laughs> because I'm not willing to apply the, 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 the gospel to the work of anti-racism. But I'm going to go you one further. Why did I come to Zambia to help start the African Christian University, which is a uh, classical Christian liberal arts biblical worldview university. Mm. You know what's interesting about that? There are people when I tell them what I'm doing, they always say, "Oh, you guys are starting a Bible college." No, it's not a Bible <laughs> college. Oh, you guys are starting. You know, no, we're starting a university. We're offering degrees in uh, agriculture, business, education, fine arts, theology, getting ready to add biology and chemistry. And some of these same people could not wrap their mind around it. We don't have a hard time raising funds for ACU because there are people who get doing the Bible college because, you know, yeah, 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 Africans, you know, Bible college, you know, uh, preach the gospel, get them saved so they don't go to hell. But then they hear about the expansive work that we're doing and they can't wrap their heads around it because they're fundamentalists who don't get the broader view that we have of this university. And now people turn around and say that I'm being a fundamentalist because I'm not embracing the twisted view of anti-racism as being part of the gospel. Not because I think racism is okay, but because anti-racism is part of a worldview that is counter to the gospel. Mm -hmm. So don't sit there and try to tell me that, you know, I'm not willing to expand, expand my understanding of the implications of the gospel broadly enough. Yeah. You know, if you get rid of the, of God's word and God's law as the standard, then any old standard will do, and they can measure you by it and beat you up all day. That's exactly what's happening. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I think that's interesting the way that's shaking down voting. And we've sensed the same thing. Like, in this, in some ways, uh, as as I watched YRR kind of go south, they were Chris Tomlin, God of the city, went out and sang, but then they kind of got put in the pocket of the city. They didn't have their Bibles with them. And then there are these other kind of fundamentalists draw high walls. We shouldn't be involved in culture and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're striking at that with the Wield the Sword project that we've got going on that we're so yeah. excited about. You're going to be here and going to be recording season two on that. And I think there's doctrine under that and important doctrines about the, the nature of the kingdom of Christ and its relationship to the, the world in the sense that it is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And there's so the relationship of the physical and the spiritual and the very nature of reality itself. I think all of that's going on. And I hope a recovery of those doctrines, as you said, destroying certain arguments and then teaching clearly so that some of our brothers can get right on this, because I do think there's a lot of good, there's a good impulse, but there's been a, not a deep enough doctrinal grounding. I do have another question for you. I don't know we're kind of running, but just one more or one, one go at it with two different questions. Vody, you see these fault lines, especially in American evangelicalism, probably in American reformed evangelicalism. Uh, you know, Tom knows many of the leaders in, in this, in all of this. What is your message to them, given the fact of, of these fault lines and some that have been unwilling to speak, or just how would you direct to the leaders? What, what would be your word to them that you would see good things to come? And then secondly, what would be your word to just pastors throughout our community? How, what should they be doing given the situation at hand? I, I would say two things, man up and love. Amen. 
Mm. I, I, those those would be my 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 two things: man up and love. And when I say man up, what I mean by that is this: there are a lot of these guys, and I am aware I've had things shared with me. Um, these guys do not believe this stuff. These guys know better. But what they're doing right now is they're saying, for example, they're saying things like, yeah, yeah, we know that, you know, the police are not really hunting down and killing black men, but our black brothers and sisters really feel this deeply, um, you know, so on and so forth. And so, number one, man up. Say that. Speak that truth. Because guys are saying it behind closed doors, but they're not saying it publicly, mm-hmm. right? Publicly, they're out there parroting the whole you know, Black Lives Matter thing and, and so on and so forth. But privately, privately, these guys know better, but they're not willing to say it. And the second one, man up, and the second one is love, right? Because lo- love me enough that if I'm being unreasonable about something, that you'll tell me I'm being unreasonable. Mm. Love me enough to say to me, you know, brother, I understand that you're hurting and I, I, I appreciate that you're hurting, but let's back up here a little bit. And rather than just jumping all in and turning your hurt into whatever I feel is factual, let's separate what you're feeling from what is factual. That, that's what love does, Amen. right? Amen. L- love doesn't just say, um, you know, my brother's hurting, and so he's running away from the facts. Um, so we're just going to pat him on the head, you know, and not say anything about the, you know, the, 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 the facts, um, because that's how we're going to prove that we love. No, that's that's not proving that you love him. That's proving that you don't respect him. Mm. That, that's, the, that's the soft bigotry of low expectations. Amen, brother. Amen. Man, I thank God for you, Vody. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, man. And it's been great to have this conversation. And uh, we are excited about the book. I'm really excited about you being here in January, just getting to see you again, and then uh, having you do Wheel of the Sword. We're going to have a great time with this Doctrine of God conference. It's crazy. This thing's taking off, man. I think we're already at like, I don't know, 700, 650, 700. It's spiking and has oh, yeah. been. So we're going to have a really good time at that conference. Um, and then you're doing a tour or we, can we talk about the tour at all? Yeah. Cause we got you taking by what standard when you go on that tour, the by what standard book. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, and those are, yeah, those, those have been flying off the shelves. Yeah. I saw Jay, um, Jay was selling them, uh, when I wasn't even selling them at one at a recent conference. I said, man, Jay's selling these books. I'm not even selling these books. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, we're, we're going to be doing a number of things, um, in Florida, Good. Um, you know, while, while I'm, while I'm there. So I'll be there for two weeks. Um, you know, starting with the G3 cruise. Yes. Right. And so, yeah. And then, I'm looking know, forward to that. A couple other things, you know, there in Florida. Um, but yeah, I haven't, you know, I, it, it's, I haven't been out there for a while. I usually go do at least three tours, three, two week tours every year in the U S mm-hmm. and, um, you know, one somewhere else in the world. You know, my tours got canceled. Right, um, right. This year, um, everything just you know, I uh, got canceled this year. So I mean, by God's grace, we've been able to to to, to make it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
but I need to get, I need to get back to work. Sure. Um, that's still the primary way that we are, you know, uh, support ourselves. So, yeah, I'll be back and excited about being able to do um, another tour and also uh, just getting my, you know, boots on the ground and, and being in the fight again Good. on that side. We'll, uh, we'll link to ACU and uh, Vody Balkan Ministries. And folks, man, encourage you if you have uh, means to support Vody and what he's That's doing right. over in Lusaka. It's a great work, and it has potential to do good for generations. Uh, Vody, do you have a few minutes to uh, hang on? And we'd like to have a, just a further yeah, conversation definitely. with you. But uh, let me, can I also give him one more website? Yeah. yeah. It's called Muzulu.org, M-U-Z-U-L-U, Muzulu, Muzulu.org, um, which is another ironic thing because, you know, Muzulu is something that we started uh, a couple of years ago with a view toward um, helping people partner with the work that we're doing here with evangelistic partnerships, educational partnerships, and economic partnerships. Um, how's that for somebody who has a fundamentalist view of the scope of the gospel? <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll make sure to link to that as well. So thanks for that. Uh, it's been good to talk to you, brother. Yeah, we'll jump in the armory here. We're in just a minute, we're going to shut down this podcast, but um, we'll talk for about five or ten minutes more on a little bit deeper dive into things. And that armory is for those right. who are a part of the FAM. That is the Founders Alliance members. And uh, if you're not a part of the FAM, you can join. Go to founders.org and check that out. We're always putting content up there in the armory. So get into that FAM and then check out what we've got there. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today.